0: and mp3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And I want to pick up and finish what I began last week, or at least attempt to. You know how this goes. Uh, And so let's read it again from 2 Corinthians. And in the first chapter, and in verse 17 let's read more than we did last week in verse 17 where the corinthians have accused paul of speaking out of both sides of his mouth you know i'm going to come and i didn't come and so they're using that against him to say you know um he 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 never speaks straight. He he's he's not talking truth, and you can't trust anything he says. That is what his enemies would do, because he said, and then he couldn't do what he said. And so in verse seventeen he says, Therefore when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that there should be with me uh yes, yes, and at the same time, no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. And then he comes to, he moves immediately. Let me put it this way. They are trying to dismantle what Paul said by scrutinizing whether he always keeps his word or whether he's a bit, you know, iffy. And he says, uh, he answers that, but then he says, let's get this straight. That it's not me, it is the message that I speak. And that message that I speak is Jesus. And in Jesus, God has spoken his final yes. And there is no shadow of turning. There is 100% resolve. It's done. It's finished in Christ. So don't start looking at me and trying to destroy my message by when I couldn't fulfill my word. Remember, Jesus is the final yes of God. And every promise that God has ever made to the human being is now made yes forever in Jesus Christ. Now, that's the essence of it. And so then he goes on and he says, For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Okay, let's get this this right. All the promises of God, and that includes all kinds of promises. That That is, and I, I, I'm very aware... Because I I was raised in a culture that the gospel dealt with the beyond death things. And so one got saved in order to assure of a destiny, or a destination is better, beyond death. And that's where it began and ended. The whole jolly thing was something that happened after you died. Whereas the entire Bible is about why you're now living and how we now live in the fullness of God's love and promises, then that carries us in a great tsunami of love into the beyond. And so... When I say all the promises of God, um, it's it's not just that if you come to Jesus, then you, you are eternally saved. That's done, dealt with in Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But all the promises of God, out from this good news, there comes a new creation. And that creation covers every aspect of our creature lives. So you can't turn around in your humanity without bumping into the promises of God. So whether we're dealing with the glorious promises that deal with the source of our being... Christ in us, and all the fullness of that love of God poured out in our heart with the the joy of God and the peace of God and the kindness and compassion of God all poured out within us. And and then all those promises couched in commands to love one another which are hidden promises to say that there is a new you, a new you that indeed can, and you are enabled from Christ in you to love one another. All promises that deal with my deepest source, but then the promises concerning my mind, that it can be renewed. What a promise! Renewed! A mind that is not dragging through the dirt and the mud and anxiety and fears and worries and all the rest of it, but a mind that is is set on Christ, a mind that has been lifted into light and into that love. Emotions that participate in the joy of the Lord and the peace of God that passes all human comprehension promises that deal with the very cells and organs of our bodies, when he promises he is the Lord who is our health, our healing, and and Jesus, the final word of the Father that healed the sick and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it deals with my work and my finances and where I'm going to live and where the next meal is coming from and so on. Every promise of God in all facets of God's love which touches every part of our being, filling every moment of our existence. And all this, all the promises, it says, in Jesus are yes. This is almost too big to just put here as a sort of introductory point. But you do realize that Jesus is not someone that comes from the outside to do something for us. You know, just sort of passing through and and he does something for us on the cross and then off he goes again to heaven. No, we've got to understand this. Jesus is our representative man. And maybe we should say mankind. He is the one who assumes our humanity and takes our place. And in our place, he carries this human race of death. He carries it to death. And when he rises from the dead, he is the new creation. He carries all mankind in himself. A new creation, a new beginning. And to him, as the human God become flesh, the Father gives to him all the promises. They are, yes, purchased with the blood of Jesus assured and affirmed in the resurrection, it's done. You have everything that Jesus won and he dwells in you by his spirit to assure you of that. So these these promises are as sure, yes, as the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. If you believe in the fact Jesus rose from the dead, then you also believe that you rose with him to a new life. You ascended with him to the arms of the Father. That's done. And and you receive with him his inheritance, which is everything I've just said. You have the promises of God made out to you as surely as Jesus does. You stand in the presence of the Father, beloved and at rest and assured in exactly the same way as Jesus. It's done. It's all yours. It's done. You see, I have said, and i said it again, and I, I think more and more of you get it every time I say it, that when it comes to prayer and the taking of these promises, you can only pray for that which you already have. You see, prayer doesn't introduce a new idea to the Father. Prayer doesn't twist his arm to make him do something he'd never thought of before. Prayer is seeing that all things are mine, as Paul says in these letters to the Corinthians. He said, all things are yours, All are, it's all yours. Can you get that? It's yours. And because it's yours, you can ask for it. You see, when I go to a bank and I take a check in there for $100, why do I do that? Because I know that in my account there is $100. I'd really be in trouble if I took a check for $100 when there was only $10 in my account. What? what? I, I am asking the bank, but it's not begging, pleading, trying to convince the manager that he really ought to give me some money because he has so much. No, I go to the bank to ask for that which is mine. And so we ask in the name of Jesus, that is, we ask as he for that which is his and mine because I'm in him and he's in me. That's prayer. Prayer is asking for what is yours, and I need this in this moment. And so the promises of God, they are yours. It's yes, it's done. I know, I know. Please, if you have been raised where I came from in my early years, please hold with me. Don't don't run away. You see, religion is obsessed. There's no other word for it. Religion is obsessed with sin. It, it, it produces, as its oxygen, uh, the shame of sin consciousness. The words that fit perfectly in the mouth of religion is, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I've failed. And that's why in so many uh, churches every Sunday, there's the appeal to you got to get right with God again. got to get saved again because you're screwed up. That's that's why you go to church to hear what a wretch you are. No, you see, what I'm saying here, that life now in Christ is discovering with increasing wonder all that is mine now, is mine Sin has been dealt with. I am now righteous, which means I am walking in harmony, trusting in all that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have said He is. And now all things are mine. All these promises, they are yes, yes. They, they reveal, every one of them reveals to me that this unlimited, unconditional love in the heart of God that he, he wants us. He he has, through the blood of Jesus, brought us to himself so that we now are increasing in knowing him. And that word, of course, in Scripture has nothing nothing to do with knowing about him. It is intimate knowledge, it's personal knowledge, it's discovering knowledge. It's used of marriage as you discover the beloved more so every day. It is the receiving of His love and the giving of that love to those around me. All the promises of God. And it's living in this, what I call, the culture of the supernatural where we draw from him who lives within us and we live the joy of God. We, we live in his peace. And, and that negates, cancels all anxiety. Yes, I mean all anxiety, all fear, all discouragement, all dark moods. This this is who you are, you see. This is what you have received in Jesus. And these promises that are given with his yes attached, they cover all of this and they're yours to be taken. Another way of looking at it, more of an Old Testament way, but comes rushing into the New Testament is you are blessed. Which means you are empowered by the love of God. You are surrounded by His favor. He is limitlessly pro you. He is with you. You're favored. It's your inheritance. You see, it's all. It comes out in these promises. It's all given to us in Christ. It's as final, the yes of God. As I said last week, he's made up his mind. Okay, he's done. Stop talking about it and start living it. That's what it's saying. Stop having endless debates about what God wants when you've got a jolly book full of his expressions of love that he says, I've said yes, they are yes, yes. Yes, yes, it's final, I said. They're as final as Jesus' resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's done. Now let's move on to say yes, yes, yes to the promises of God and bring them into my life. He He said, it's not yes and no. It's not saying yes, but then, well, I'm not sure. Let's... No, he said, there's no hesitancy here. Are you hearing me? I mean, how do you read the Scripture? Are you trying to read it through in a year? No. Um, you probably will when all is said and done, but this book is a living book for the Holy Spirit not only inspired it, but He comes out of it. He speaks out of it. And so as you read the Scripture, you are listening with inside ears for Him to illuminate. That's uh, one way of saying it. Warm your heart. Uh, it, 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 It seems the Scripture leaps out and grabs a hold of you, whichever way it fits your way of saying things. But you realize that whatever you've just read, God is speaking to you. Out from his word, he speaks a personal word to you. And it fits where you are right now. Fits the problem, the challenge, the opportunity that you're you're in. Well, understand as you read these words and the Spirit witnesses in your spirit there's, there's no perhaps and maybe. You don't come with that terrible religious voice. How I hate that voice. We an unnatural voice, you know, when you with nasal twang as you try and convince God that you're so holy and and, and you say things like oh, well if it be your will, shut up. It says so here and he tells you here it's a final yes. You don't have to if and perhaps and maybe it's done, it's finished. I know in our world as a whole, not only the way religion approaches this, but in our world as a whole, this is very difficult to really get a hold of. I mean, to get this simple statement that in Christ all the promises of God are yes. That's very difficult. Outside of our dependency upon the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, in today's world, maybe more than any other time in history, well, recent history. I mean, what do they tell you? If something sounds to be too good to be true, it's probably not true. That's a given in in this cynical world today, and of course for good reason. But but it, it leaves us cynical. You know, you you get bright-faced politicians come on your television and they speak promises. And and you listen, but we've been set up for it to say, I don't believe a word they're saying. When, when, When you don't believe a word your government is telling you, that is a terrible culture to live in. And when the rest of the world doesn't believe your government, that's a terrible culture to live in. But that's the world we live. Cynicism. We don't believe. We are so used to a culture of lies. We're used to it. It's expected. People joke about it now because we expect our leaders to be two-faced, talking out of both sides of their mouth. Where we hear definitive statements that never come to pass, indecision, and nobody nobody bothers. We take it for granted. That's... that's when... Persons in authority, their word means absolutely nothing. And I come to the scripture and I'm I'm hearing another culture. Do you you understand me? Into this cynical, sick, lie-filled world, there comes a new normal. Jesus, who is the truth. Do you remember back when Pilate was um, interrogating Jesus and the word truth came up? and, And Pilate, you know, the representative of the Roman Empire, and he sneers, what is truth? We might as well say the same today. Jesus said, I am the truth, revealing a God who is light in whom there is no darkness at all. Can I comprehend that? That Jesus is the faithful and the true witness. Can I? Come on. Stop letting this glide over the top of your head. Can I grasp that? My mind has been so baptized in expecting lies that I come now to him who is light who doesn't only tell the truth, he is the truth. He cannot be, or as it says in the Scripture, it's impossible for him to lie. The God who cannot lie, who has sworn by himself that his word shall not return to him empty, but shall accomplish that where he sent it, who has said of himself, I am the Lord, I change not. Who said to Jeremiah, I watch over my word to perform it. Not one word fails, you see. In James 1.17, it says, he is the father of lights. I love that. It's it's as if out from God there radiates light. And each radiation of light is promises concerning who he is And what he now gives to us, he's the Father of lights, and it says, with him there is no shadow of turning. He's not like a sundial where the shadow turns around. He's he's not like the, the planets where we plunge into darkness for half, you know, you're in the night. There's no night with God, there's no shadows. He is light, He is light, He is transparent. He is the original, honest. So into my world of lies, dead-end promises, in which, you know, we get very weary. It's a terrible energy that wears us down, produces anxiety, suspicion of everybody. And that, what's the use, futility? You're, you're, the weave of the world is lies, which, which produces doubt about everything. Doubt, certainly, concerning the Scripture. And you know what doubt is, among other things? <clears throat> uh, Doubt always produces condemnation. But doubt... Have you ever... I mean, it's the way we spell it. D-O-U-B-T. Isn't it a weird word? And I know English is weird. Uh, and so when, when it's, it puts a B in there, we just... It's part of stupid English. No, because it's actually part of another word, which is D-O-U-B-L-E. Double. Doubt is double-minded. Comes from the same word. In the Old Testament it it described it as one leg shorter than the other. And and so you're backwards and forwards. Doubt, he said yes, but did he mean no? He said yes, but is it his will today that was yesterday? He, He said yes, but is he going to, you know, debate, debate, doubt, I'm not sure hesitancy, but now into our lives has shone the glory of this God who never changes in the person of Jesus Christ. And he brings in in his truth, I can trust him. I can place my life in his hands. That's rest. That's assurance. One of the most marvelous words in the English language assurance. I know. I have then peace. I then have joy. I, I Then I understand what faith is. It's faith in His faithfulness. I can be bold in my action because trusting Him, I know He's with me, He's in me, He's ahead of me, He's behind me. Yes. I said last week that when God says, yes, it's the intention of His will. And I've had some conversations since then, and I realized that intention, the word intention, has been diluted to nothingness by the way we use it often today in English. And so I want to speak quickly to it. We're In, in today's world, the word intend... Well, actually, the word intend, as the world uses it today, is very weak in resources. That is, a person may use the word, I intend to do that, but discover they just don't have the inner resources or outer resources to do it, and so intention just goes down. Intention, as it's used today, is very weak in follow through you know, uh, do you, have you, I'm sure you've had those persons who have come into your life, and oh, they're so sincere. They're, so, they're they're overflowing with generous promises and intentions. I mean, they're going to help you move. Believe me, I'll be here on Saturday at eight o'clock. The they're, they're full yes, of course I will. Of course I yes, you get. But they never come through they didn't turn up on saturday at all and when you read they, they they forgot or something came along they couldn't do it that's they intend and they, they'll tell you they look you straight in the eye i intended to but something came up no you see when god intends how can i put it When God intends, in His intention is the now power to bring that to pass. There is nothing that God intends that shall not be. His follow through is to make manifest where His heart already is intend with god never means one of these days i will do it when someone tells us they intend and there's these long gaps before they even remember they said it then comes in all the nagging you know and all the begging and bugging and please you said you would and people think that's how they have to treat god that's not prayer that's nagging He he is not distracted. He does not lose all intention of the sight of difficulty. God's intention is the movement of His love, will, and purpose toward you. Every promise is an intention with power to fulfill it every word. when i used to travel a lot i i was very familiar with airline schedules when american airlines posted that at 909 not 910 or 908 but at 909 the uh, plane would leave san antonio to go to the west coast or whatever uh, and and So, I I planned my life around that, to be there, and I could tell the chaps at the other end, according to American Airlines schedule, they will be landing there at 102, not 1, not 103, but 102, they You know, that, the schedule, that could be so exact, that you could trust and that you could be there with all your bags because you knew it was going to happen. That is actually some of the words that are used in the New Testament, the counsel of his will. It means his posted will, his determined, his intention, that which in his wisdom said this is the way it shall be, and he posts it in the Scripture. You know, that's it. When I was in Zambia, in Africa, it's not quite the same there. I drove 300 miles through the bush to be at the airport in Lusaka, and and when I got there, they said the plane's left. I said, is it not supposed to leave for two hours? They said, well, the pilot just wanted to get out of here, so he left. Um, And I had to wait an extra day for the plane because... That they, there was nothing to their intentions and their postedness meant nothing. But if you've ever flown within the states, understand this is, and even that of course has failures. But that's what I'm. To, this is this is God's posted agenda. This is His schedule. He said this. My yes, I stand behind this. Stand behind it. What's it say in Romans 117? The gospel is the power of God to salvation. This good news of promise contains the power to do everything that it says. And so we rest in his intention. We rest in his resolve, in his determined declaration, in his posted will. We rest in it. We know that behind that schedule of his promise is the yes of the Holy Trinity. Incidentally, I am saying that we rest in his character, in his result, in his determination. Not in how we feel... about the way he should do it. I I know people that have almost lost their faith because God didn't do what they thought he should. And when you, uh, you know, um, begin to investigate, they they, they were trusting in their own idea of how he was going to do it, which it was not so, and so they lost faith. Look, I have no faith in my puny pea-brain wisdom. I trust God. I've no idea how he'll do it, and I know he will come in a way that surprises the socks off of me, but he'll, he'll do it. I, I don't interfere with my how. And when that promise leaps from the page, when the Holy Spirit warms your heart, when, when you feel magnetically connected to God's Word, be assured now that yes, which has always been yes, but it is now specifically applied to you, where you are, it's become alive to you. We respond. We respond to all the promises of God, because their promises, even if that warmth isn't there, they're, they're still His promises. But certainly when that promise leaps out and embraces your spirit, God's word to you, says the text here, we respond with the amen. Or, to put it another way, our yes is joined to his yes. We say yes with him. And, of course, amen means it is so. That is the way it is. Final, closed book, done deal, mind made up. That's amen. Amen is the Old Testament word for believe, believe. I believe, I I surrender to God's character in his word and I say that's the way it is. Be it unto me according to your word. Amen. I tell you what, amen is not. It's not positive thinking. That is, it's not seeing a terrible situation and just trying to make some positive statement about it. No, cut that out. It's not that. Nor is it whistling in the dark. You know, you're scared spitless, but you will keep shouting the promises of God as if they're magic spells and make the demons run away. No, it's not that. It's not fear. It's not panic screaming at God. You've got to do this. You said it in your word. Hold it. We're not in court. God is not the defendant and you're the plaintiff trying to make God see it your way. Come on. What did I say? The promises of God. That's the way he is. Promises of God. That's what he's done. Promises of God is what he has given to you already in Christ. Christ. So, I approach this out of rest. Amen is the absolute rest. It's it's flopping back in the, the chair of God's promise. And with a great sigh of relief, amen. I hear what I've just said. I hear a lot. People, and I say screaming because that's what it ends up as, the... They're terrified. They're terrified the promise isn't going to happen. So it seems as if they they say it enough and raise the decibel of their voice and, and that maybe somehow it's going to happen. No. Amen arises out of settling down into the yes. We know it's done. It's finished. And it was done for me. It was done... As me in Christ and the promises and inheritance were given to me in Christ. So I respond to that with joy, with rest, assurance. Amen. It is so. Amen is actually fulfilling what Jesus said in the parables. Rejoice with me. I've found, I've done. So we rejoice with him and say, "Amen, you sure have." Also, I might add that um, amen is is in no way to be thought of as denial. You know, We're not denying you know you know the people who they're afraid to look at the reality of the situation they're in. And, and, and just say that um they're living in faith. Well, faith is not afraid to to look at these things. Um let let me read from Romans chapter four. And so it, to Abraham there was given the promise I've made you a father of many nations. And and he says that Um, Abraham received that from, from the God who gives life to the dead, who calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Well, Abraham didn't even have a son, no hope of a son, let alone the father of nations. But he says he gives life to the dead. He calls those things that do not exist as though they are. So, therefore, even though it says in verse 18, then Abraham, contrary to hope, that is, if, you, if you've got a brain in your head, you know there's no hope of you becoming the father of many nations. Well, contrary to hope, in hope he believed. He put his hope in something his eyes couldn't see and his ears couldn't hear, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. Now, this is the process by which it was so. And not being weak in faith He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. That is, considering his own body. He he wasn't living life in the clouds saying, I'm going to be a dad. No, he he knew he was a hundred years old for goodness sake and his little wife, he was 90. He was well aware of the impossibility of what was going on. But he said he chose, having he took in the facts. But that's not where he was going to focus. But rather, he focused on the promises of God, gave glory to God, was strengthened in faith. See, it wasn't denial. He looked at his body. He looked at Sarah's body. He said, there's absolutely no hope. But I look through to a greater reality, to promises that do not consider what they're working with. And so I will not consider either. I will look straight at the promise of God. Amen. That, that's, that's what it is. It's it's looking through my situation. It's looking through who I am appear to be at this moment, and I I see who I truly am in my union with Christ. And so, Amen says of oneself, I am in Christ. Therefore, I am in the Father's love, even as He. I am one with Father and Son and Holy Spirit and that Spirit dwells in me and communicates me with Father and Son, I am alive in the very life of Holy Trinity. I am empowered, I am enabled in every dimension of my life to bring the love of God and the glory of God into all that I do. And I look at my life and I declare it, I am in his love and therefore at this very micro moment, all things are working together for good. Amen. That's how we walk into our day. We walk in with confidence in the promises of God. Amen. It's the way it is. That can I put it this way, lays hold upon. It is opening up now to explore and examine the promises of God, the yes. It is so. And in so doing, I bring my life into focus. I'm seeing now My life as God sees it. I'm hearing my life now as God hears it. I, I see now that woven into my life is God's yes. So I see who I am and I see also what I'm becoming. And so prayer is wound up in this because this is what God's up to, and therefore I ask for what He wants. I ask His promise. And every prayer ends in amen. That's not just a religious way of saying, Roger, over and out. Amen at the end of your prayer means I have prayed the promise of God. I have mouthed my will with God's will. And now I say, amen, that's the way it is. And I move now into speaking the promise that he's given to me in terms of this is what is. I am. This is it. This is it. Have you ever looked at the prayers of the New Testament? They're diverse. I, I have been... Okay, There. When I was 17 years old, Ephesians 1, 17 and following, it leaped out, grabbed a hold of me, warmed my heart. And all these many decades later, I'm still examining. I am still praying. I'm still saying the amen over those words of God spoken to me in uh, so many decades ago. But anyway, if you go through the, the Colossian prayers of Paul, as well as the Ephesian ones in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and then Colossians 1, Philippians 1, what is it, 1 Thessalonians 3, oh, you go on, the prayers of the New Testament. One of the major prayers of those prayers... It's threefold. It, it says that you would pray that you would know the knowledge of God. That's got nothing to do with knowing about God. It's got nothing to do with going to a a, a Bible institution to learn theology. It's not about God. The knowledge of God is the knowledge that God has. It it, it is. The knowledge that God has about himself, but the knowledge that God has about his purpose is for you. God, open my eyes to the knowledge to see myself now as you see me. To hear what you're saying about me right now. Another word is understanding along with wisdom. Understanding is a fascinating word in the original language. It means where two things meet. It speaks of where two rivers come together and flow as one. And so there comes that knowledge, that understanding, the mind of Christ comes flowing into my mind. And now I understand with God's understanding, you see. That's how we pray. Or Psalm 37, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. How many times have we heard people quote that as, He shall give you the desires of your heart? No, He doesn't. Delight yourself in the Lord. Wonder at this love. Wonder at this Jesus that summed you up in Himself and now is to you all the promises of God. Know Him, Delight in him. Stand in awe of him. Stand in wow of him. They call that worship. That's praise. That's thanksgiving. And as you thus luxuriate in who he is, you will find his desires, his mind leaps out at you, and you know where he's at with you. This is the renewing of your mind it's the bringing of your invisible inner self into line with who he is It becomes a kind of personal I could say personal prophecy I suppose It's it's a it's realizing that he loved me and gave himself for me So this isn't just a general truth that applies to the entire body of Christ, which it does, but I recognize to me. And so, as we've spoken in the past so many times, David took Scripture that was spoken to all Israel. But in the Psalms, you remember... He says, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my strong tower. The Lord is my high place. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my shepherd, you see. All those words that he's describing as the Lord is my, you'll find them scattered through essentially the book of Deuteronomy and previous. And he takes those And he makes them his. The Lord. In all the promises that are wrapped up in him. The Lord is. Present tense. Now. In this moment. Lord is. Lord is. And going off into the future. What he is, he shall be. The Lord is my. So. What is uniquely in God is now being woven into, united to me. I take His promise and I receive. I eat of it, it becomes mine. And so the Lord is my light. The Lord is my self. And, and we just dealt with Abraham. Part of his being strengthened in faith was that his name was changed. His name originally in chapter 12 of Genesis was Abram but it becomes Abraham. Abraham means an exalted father. But Abraham means a father of a multitude or a father of many nations. Do Do you think about that? This old chap, you know, long on Social Security. Old, old man and his old crone of a woman. And he says, I've changed my name to be in line with what God says. My name is, I am the father of a multitude. And so every time anyone called him, they confessed what God says. And when anyone said, what's your name? He answered by a confession of what God said. Abraham think about that. David was of like. He took the book of Deuteronomy and he made it his own. And when Goliath came, he goes out and he speaks totally of himself. He says, you you have defied us, but really you've defied the, the Lord God of hosts, the hosts of Israel. And he says, I will come and I will because he has become one with the promises of God, and so he prophesies over Goliath and says, your end is near, you see. I take the promises of God and I make them mine in terms of future, that if this happens and that happens and the other happens, I declare now, from where I'm standing now, if that happens, this is the way it's going to be and I declare the word of God over it as my experience. So Habakkuk, the prophet, he says, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine and, and there's no animals in the stool, stalls and everything is a disaster agriculturally, what shall I do? He says, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That that is, he prophesies all that God has said he was to his people. Habakkuk took it to himself and says, that's mine. And in such a day when everything collapses, I here and now declare before God and before angels, before demons and men, that I will rejoice in the God who never changes God my supply and my salvation, and the one that we know so well in Psalm 23, when he says, "Though, and, and I've preached on this, haven't we, but when he says, "Even though it wasn't happening yet, it, it, it was on the verge, but it wasn't, but he, he looks ahead. And you see, when Bible chaps looked ahead, they did not go into anxiety. They confessed the promises of God that are now and will be then. And so he says, even though if it comes to this, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Notice present tense, are, meaning you are with me now and you'll still be present tense with me then. Nothing will change. Paul looks at all the ups and downs of life in Philippians 4, and then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you done this before? Finding yourself in Scripture. Of course, all the promises of God, it's you. It's fascinating. To, to hear Jesus say it just to you. Put your name in there. And then to realize, yes, that is for me, to me. And therefore I say the amen. And I speak of myself now. And I speak aloud of myself now. This is who I am. This is my true self in Christ, in the power of the Spirit. Get used to it, Smith. This is who you are. Do you remember John the Baptist? They came and they said, we can't figure you out. Who are, who are you? Do you remember that? John chapter 1. And they danced around a bit and then they said, well, who are you? And he quoted from Isaiah chapter 40. That was written 750 years or so before this. Seven. Centuries before. It says in Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist said, That's me. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. As he had read Isaiah chapter 40, the Spirit enlightened him, had warmed his heart, had spoken that verse into him and said, that's you. He found himself there. And of course, Jesus, uh, in his humanity, as Jesus among us, as, as man, he forever found himself in the Old Testament and he lived by what his father said about him, You know that, don't you? Isaiah chapter 61. Yeah, again, 700 years before. Isaiah said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me, and so on. Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and turned to that specific scripture, read it, and said, This day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He said, That's me. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Where did you get that from? Ezekiel 34, where it says, the Lord speaking, God said, I will personally come and I will seek and save my lost sheep and describes himself as the good shepherd. And Jesus said, that's me. And how many times in the Gospels does Jesus say, I can only speak what I hear my Father say. He, he said of himself what his father told him. And he said of us what the father told him. He, 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 he lives his fullness of life in a response to his father. Jesus said, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Boy, how we... I was going to say we wrestle with that. I don't, the church as a whole has forgotten that even exists. But what do you do? It's a command. But as I said last week, the commands have promises hidden inside them. Jesus is saying two things there. He is saying that you are the beloved of the Father. And that love of the Father I have given to you. You are loved now you go and love one another as you have been loved. My heart delights, even as I'm just sitting here using this as an illustration, to realize I, I in the light of that, my heart leaps and says, I am personally loved of Jesus who communicates to us the love of the Father. And because he dwells within me, I am one who loves those he puts in my path. I can point to that verse and say it speaks of me as surely as you can. For over six decades, that's how I go through this Bible. I hear what God is saying about me. I overhear His words concerning me as I am in Christ. I lay hold upon it. If if it seems beyond me for a moment, then I make it prayer. And when I come to the amen, I declare it is so. And I begin to talk about myself to myself that that's, that's me. And I I have a new image of myself. New possibles leap within me. Because the Word of God, you see, is creative. It not only brings what God is thinking, but it brings the creative spirit to work and produce that within me and to make me, in fact, who God says I am. And so we become a company that is the culture of the supernatural, a culture of truth, a culture of walking out on the promises of God and knowing this is the way it is. Well, I trust these two weeks have been an empowering blessing to you that enables you now to discover this vast inheritance that is already yours in Christ, waiting for you to lay hold upon it and to say the amen and to walk out. Practice being who you are. Act. As I've said to many people, to the horror of others, act as if this is true. I dare you. Dare I go even further, for those who really are timid? Let's pretend it's true, okay? Just for a day, let's pretend every word of God is absolute truth, and the Spirit is in you to do it. Let's just pretend it. Tomorrow you can go back to your unbelief. But today, let's just pretend... Of course, you know I've got myself in a lot of trouble for saying that. But I have helped multitudes come into a life of resting faith with those words. So, pick your word. I suppose the, the most acceptable is go practice being who God says you are. But that's an adventure. To walk out into your work tomorrow, whatever that is, to practice being the kind of person that's described in especially the epistles of Paul and John. If that sounds a bit difficult, then try, act as if this is true. Because you discover it is. Or if you're way out there just waiting for a life jacket, well, let's pretend let's pretend the same way as a little child takes a doll and pretends it's a living doll and feeds and changes and has birthday parties all pretend what does she do that for is because innate within her is motherhood innate within her is the desire to nest and and right now it's all pretend but it's only because it's real She's made for that, and she'll bring to birth her little family. And if it isn't in babies, she will mother and bless the world with that motherhood. So maybe today let's play with dolls and pretend this is true. Boy, that will blow your mind. I guarantee by midnight you'll realize it is true. You're far ahead of the dolls. Go do it. I'd say this is a foundational key to what this life is all about. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing embrace you. His blessing infuse your whole being That you may walk out into your world empowered to be who you are in Christ Jesus. So I bless you. That is the way it is.